Author Lisa Fuller is a Murray woman from Icefold, Queensland. In 2017, she won the David Unapo Award for Emerging Aboriginal Writers for Mirrored Pieces, and in 2019, the Black and Right Writing Fellowship. She's a member of the Us Mob Writing and First Nations Australia Writers Network. She's currently researching for a PhD. Lisa joined me in the reading corner to talk about Ghostbird, which is published in the UK by Old Barn Books. It won the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year for older readers. Ghostbird is the story of Mirror Twins, Stacey and Lainey, one conforming to the expectations of school, the other looking for other ways to assert her independence. When Lainey goes missing after a night out with her boyfriend, the authorities are quick to assume that she's absconded willingly. Stacy knows otherwise. And when she starts dreaming that Lainey is alive, the dreams become increasingly dark and terrifying. It's imperative that Stacy finds her twin before it's too late. This compelling horror is set against a backdrop of racism and small town prejudice. But it's also a celebration of culture, acknowledgement of traditional wisdom and of finding yourself, even when you didn't know you were lost. So, Lisa, thank you for joining me from the other side of the globe. It's great to have you in the reading corner today. Thanks for having me. It would be good to hear, to get a flavour for the book. Maybe we could hear you read from it. Sure. So I'll uh, start with just the opening. Fire is the centre of our world. It's where everything happens. Cooking, playing, laughing, family, story. Fire means so much more than just a bunch of burning carbon. I sit and watch the embers escape, propelled by hot air swelling upwards. They dance into the sky as the smoke moves steadily in one direction. My twin sister sits right in its way. What's wrong with you? I shake my head at her as she coughs. Hey, smoke follows beauty, little sister. Or, you know, the wind, which in your case makes sense. You want to talk. Are you sure we're related, we say together? Laughing with the same smile, same eyes, but a mirror image. A small freckle above the eyebrow on my right and her left is how most people tell us apart. Mirror twins are rare. Opposite sides of a whole, Mum says, even in her personalities. Lainey is outgoing, sporty and popular. I am not. What are you two fighting about now? Nan comes shuffling out of the dark, a big jewfish in one hand and a massive serratidus in the other. I hop up to go help, but she shoes me away, tossing him to the ground. I stare in fascination at the serratidus. Salmon, the old people call it. As old as we are in this country, they reckon. My fellow said they were prehistoric dinosaurs or something. Made sense to us. Sometimes people call them lungfish, because that's what they had. Sitting by the river at night, you'd hear them surface to gasp in air. None had already whacked these ones on the head, otherwise that salmon would be gasping now. You gonna just look at it or you wanna eat it? Sorry, Nan. I smile at her as she comes over with her cleaning gear, an old knife, some newspaper and alfoil. I stay close watching every move she makes while Lainey sits to the side acting like a big dainty thing with her ew this and yap that. Nan looks at me and we both roll our eyes. Anyone would think you weren't black. Call yourself my granddaughter, she mumbles in her rough smoker's voice. 
In my day, you'd figure out how to clean it or you'd starve. Cleaning it is gross, I agree. But I'll take this over going into the shops and getting that boxed frozen fish rubbish any day. I lean too close and Nan growls at me for getting in her light while she's working. She always smells like imperial leather soap, white ox tobacco and talcum powder. Mum said the only thing that had changed since she was a kid is the brands. It sounds like it should smell bad, but it never does. It smells like home. Nan, when are you going to let me do that? When I'm sure you can do it proper way. But how will you know if you never let me? She snorts. I'll know before you. Mm, that's really great. So much to pick up even from that, you know, very short introduction there. I think I'd like to start with Stacy and her voice and her character. This is set at the millennium, so it's not the present day. I'm guessing that you might have been around Stacy's <laughs> age at the time of the millennium, maybe. Very close. Very close. <laughs> so you're kind of drawing on what you remember from your teen years at around that time is that is that correct oh it's 100 percent because um so it's it's very much set in my hometown it's in my community it's our culture um and to do it justice I was really worried that if I tried to set it in the modern times I wouldn't be authentic because you know we didn't get mobile phone coverage until I was 18 uh you couldn't have really internet in your house until after that because it was way too costly we didn't have Facebook we didn't have social media and I was worried that I couldn't do justice to what my cousins and my nieces and nephews are dealing with in terms of that so I I did cheat a bit and I set it back in 1999 where I was comfortable (laughs) well Stacey's a you use the term good girl but let's put that in inverted commas because they're just very different personalities and it doesn't come from a place of badness. Sometimes it's just wanting to get out there and experience the world in a different way, isn't it? Well, I think, you know, when I say good girls, I always know because it's those, you know, the nice girl and the, the, now we're battling all those patriarchal ideas, um, which we should be doing, but I also am careful never to call Lainey bad. I say she does naughty things and she does do things that her mother doesn't want her to do. Um, But it's important to me that she not get labelled as a bad girl just because she's out there doing things. I think it's important that, you know, they're they're just really different and they're approaching this big change in life. You know, Mm -hmm. the last year of school and the big exams and what they're going to do and what happens after. It's it's Mm -hmm. a really strange time. And actually, Stacey's got to go through a learning process where she breaks down some of that uh, compliance, I suppose, in some ways. Yeah, well, uh, and this is a big thing. The whole, uh, well, hopefully what happens through the story is her battling against those constrictions around her and and, and that she always would have, she was a rule follower. She's 100% a rule follower, but she's got to battle against all these different things to find out to 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 follow her sister Mm -hmm. now one of the ways in which the story develops which was so beautifully done is through Stacey's dreaming and actually to begin with I almost thought it was a dual narrative they were so closely connected because she's dreaming as though she is Lainey tell us a bit about how that aspect of it came to be written in that way it's strange for me because talking to non-Indigenous people 
they assume I'm talking about approaching the dream thing as in, oh, twins and, you know, the twin connection. And, and yeah, that's really cool too. And I love that sort of idea. But um, actually dreams for us are very important. Um, and it's a cultural and a spiritual belief that loved ones, family members, we carry connection, family members who've passed, they come and visit us through dreams, you know. And you can tell the difference between a dream that, you know, is just a dream and is truly bizarre and your subconscious is working something out versus, you know, the, a special dream. And she has to learn to listen to that because she's actually a bit of a rationalist, isn't she? She's kind of trying to take the scientific approach at the beginning and sort of explain things away a little bit. She's almost like somebody who was a former devout Christian but is now angry with God, but at the same time, how can you be angry with an entity if you don't believe in it? It's kind of where I was coming from with Tace in that she's angry with the spiritual beliefs that she grew up with and was taught with, and she's decided to embrace you know, non-Indigenous scientific rationality. Um, but then she starts having these wacky dreams and, yeah, what's a girl to do? <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about some of the language that I had to become familiar with. Uh, let me just ask you for a moment, because I wrote them down as I was reading. Is that a port? Is that a coat? That's actually, oh, I'm going to get this really wrong because I think it originates from a French word, portmanteau ah. or suitcase. And it's actually, it's not even an, uh, a Blackfellow word. It's actually a Queenslander word. <laughs> it's your school bag. Right. Okay. Yeah, what about a dory? There was a TV show <laughs> years ago uh, with a character in it called a Dory Evans. So now, you know, the nosy Parker, the person who wants to know everybody's business, wants to know the gossip. So now we just say, oh, you big Dory. Okay. But it's, it's actually become so common. People are like, I didn't understand that it came from a TV show until about 10 years ago. I just thought it was a word. Yeah. I do want to get into some of the issues around social justice in this story because Lainey goes missing in what seem to be really terrifying circumstances. And the police we have to deal with first are not... You know, it's that we have the same situation with certain groups not being able to get social justice or not being believed. And this is a big issue in this story. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? It is a really problematic relationship. And I think it's important to note that it's different in every state and territory here because the state, for a long time, the states and territories had control over what happened to their First Nations and what they did to their First Nations populations. But in Queensland, um, look, I'm just going to say it, in Queensland, police force is really vile towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I've seen terrible stuff go down. And look, I'm I'm a fair-skinned blackfella, so I have more privilege than my darker-skinned family members. And I'm also living in Canberra, which is, you know, one of the least racist places I've ever lived. But in a small town like Idesville where there's 500 people and half the town's Aboriginal and the tensions are high, it just, it's terrible. It's terrible. Like we have a funeral and they call in extra police from the other towns to come and observe us. You know what I mean? It's, it's every day. Mm. I felt that I was reading something that could have been set 100 years ago, not just 20 years ago in that respect and there is a kind of reference in the book to a lynching that's actually quite mild compared to some of the things that went down I danced around it a lot because it's very much 
you know, our old people, they didn't tell us specifics. And it wasn't until I got older that things started to get let slip to me, sort of what pop does in a story to taste. So in some ways it's it's bad and 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 terrible. But at the same time, I hope um in those interactions I'm also showing that, you know, Tace and her family have agency and they're not going to sit around and wait for these guys to do something because they're not. They're not going to help look for Laney. Despite all of that, we are absolutely connected and yeah, the family connections and the love and the mm-hmm. connection to country is so powerful. Let's get back to the story for a moment, which is, a re- as we've said, is a really thrilling story. So Lainey's gone missing and it emerges fairly early on that what has happened to Lainey, this may have happened to another character in the story called May. Now, she's an elder. She's an older person. She's an older person from a different mob. There are two main mobs, if you like, in this. Is that right? The Thompsons and the Millers. Millers. This is just pure small town, especially if you've all lived there pretty much as far back as anyone can remember. Um, (laughs) You know, it's those family feuds that heat up and Mm -hmm. it gets more complicated with us because a lot of us have been pushed into towns off country. So there's like in in Eidsvold, there's three actual um, nations within the town. So I'm a willy-willy woman, but I'm also lucky enough to say that I'm also descended from Waka Waka grand-grand peoples because that's through my grandmother and my great-grandmother. So it gets when you force people into a situation like that with a group that they may have been at war with, uh, of the nation that they didn't speak to, that, you know, maybe once upon a time one of them fellas did this and then, you know, everybody's got a long memory. It's, <laughs> it is a small town thing. I've had non-Indigenous people say it to me too, where mm. nobody can remember why there's a huge mm. fight going on. but everyone continues the grudge but the only way they're going to solve this mystery is by coming together yes exactly and look um i absolutely would refer to may as an elder um she's of that grandparent generation she clearly is wiser um she yes she has mental health issues but that doesn't take away from the fact that you know she is an important figure especially to sam miller her grandson she may hold some clue as to what's going on. And also underpinning the story, well, actually central to the story, is a whole spiritual and belief system. And, you know, Stacey's got to become even more in tune to that, really, to understand exactly what's happening here. Yeah, um, it was very, I was very hesitant to include our beliefs. Um, you know, the way we work, you know, you have to undertake all these permissions and there's a protocol process. And I did that. I spent six weeks sitting down with six of my aunties getting permissions. Um, But uh, there's an unfortunate um, literary legacy in this country where people take First Nations belief systems and they use terms like myths and legends and they turn it into this folklore-ish thing that then they put on the same level as say a unicorn which is really not okay it just minimizes it and it's disrespectful Mm. but Mm. I was really concerned about appropriation of our belief systems which is why there's a lot of things that I hint at and so that's 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 okay too tell me a little bit about the 
the writing of the story it's, it's, it is your first novel so tell us a little bit about your writing process I suppose Oh, it's been really bizarre and I think I've unfortunately made it more difficult for my publishers because I'm actually, I'm a huge spec fic buff. Like I love all things speculative fiction, especially fantasy. But after Ghostbird was written, I had this real thing of like, I don't want this to be in fantasy because our beliefs don't belong with unicorns and dragons. I don't mind the title speculative fiction. I don't mind the title horror. I'm cool with that. I think... At the end of the day, what it is, is I've collected over seven or eight different versions of what genre this is. I don't know. Someone said magic realism, which is kind of a cool idea uh, with a a dash of romance, which I quite like. Uh, Can I just ask you about the reading um, experience? Because I read in an interview with you that when you were at school, you didn't have the opportunity to read much literature written by First Nations people. Is that changing? Hugely. I've been blown away because when I was in high school, if a book had a single swear word in it, there's no way it was going to be in the library, let alone dealing with the mature content and the themes that are within Ghostbird. So in my head when I wrote it, I actually thought it was an adult fiction book, although everyone who's read it has said it's solidly YA, so I'm glad I picked YA. (laughs) But it was just those old ideas I had around what what schools and libraries and and um, parents even would allow their children to read. But um, at the same time, I refused to uh, whitewash it. I guess I did actually take out quite a lot of the swearing, but I did I did stand firmly because it's it's how it's how life is. It's how I yeah. grew up. It's and I think it's a, a thing too of um, these are the things that my nieces and nephews and my younger family members are dealing with and I didn't want to condescend to them. Um, mm. You know, I, I think it's important that, mm. you know, as, as a young person I would have loved to have read something that where I could see and identify myself and I really hope that they can see themselves and have pride in our yeah. community and our culture. And are there other writers like you now that are getting into schools and increasing that representation do you have any statistics for example on what percentage of literature is there to represent your various cultures and does it come anywhere close to the ratio of population it doesn't come close and (laughs) there's literally over 200 different nations just under the very broad term aboriginal australia let alone you know our Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters but there are more coming out, you know, people like Melissa Lukashenko who've been writing YA since I was a teenager, but she was completely not okay. She was not accepted into libraries. Unfortunately, it still happens today too. So, for example, my book, which is based in my hometown, was not in my school library or town library. Um, my very opinionated younger cousin, Maddie, <laughs> got in there and fought for it. But, you know, I've had the most amazing experiences of all these excited librarians and teachers calling me and, ha- and talking to the teenagers in their class. And every time I speak to them, my hope lifts that my nieces and nephews won't have to live with this as badly. And there's so many more people coming out. But I think, too, it's because the publishing industry here is changing and becoming more aware of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And when they need to pull in cultural sensitivity readers or cultural advisors. So, for example... I was actually in publishing for seven years. I still do freelance editing. 
Um, and I do work as a cultural consultant with non-Indigenous publishers and authors on their material because, uh, unfortunately, there's still inappropriate things being published, but it's happening less and less and I think people are becoming less okay with that. But I think you can talk about that in terms of any minority. Like, you mm. know, people are they're wanting those those own voices. I love that term, mm. own voices stories, because I'm so excited now to read you know, about neurodivergence, about different genders, about different sexualities. That was never around when I was a high schooler. Well, it wasn't allowed in schools, I should say. So, yeah, it is changing. And then there's people coming out now like, you know, Amblin Quimelan has been around for a while. Oh, my God, try her speculative fiction series. Her and her brother Ezekiel um, had a book out before mine, Catching Teller Crow. Right after Ghostbird came out the next year, you had Gary Lonesbrook come out with um, The Boy from the Mish. It's so exciting. And yeah. people like Melissa Lukashenko and Jared Thomas, who've been out there for years, who've been the true trailblazers, they're now winning these huge national awards and then getting the recognition that they should have always had, in my opinion, which is totally biased. <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple of other questions for you. Well, one is more an observation. Um, I loved hearing you read the beginning of the story that you did for us and actually hearing you kind of sets us up to tune our ear into the voice in this novel. So I was just thinking from the point of view of teachers and young people, they might want to go to your website to hear you read those first three chapters. There's something extra special to hear you reading it, I think. I think too it's really interesting for um, the classes and the, to, to actually hear my shift in voice and the shift in my accent because, you know, the, the accent that I do when I'm out in the world I put on the socially acceptable uh, standard Australian English accent and I actually can feel it physically in my jaw and my tongue when I get home and I, or I start reading Ghostbird where I, I fall back into my original accent. It's not something I can control. It's something I've done out of because of years of discrimination, honestly. But I do think it's interesting to point out that that structural racism and those biases is still there. But at the same time, here in Australia, right, they... they refer to Aboriginal English historically as broken English. Linguists are changing that a lot now. They're actually pointing out it's a multiple dialects across the, the whole continent and it's an actual dialect and mm. multiple dialects and they're just as important as any other dialect and I love it. I think it's there's something so lyrical about it. Last question here. Uh, Ghost Bird is the title of the book and there is a scene with a bird early on is the ghost bird a curlew no it's a tawny frogmouth it's an owl it's an owl oh yeah right. okay it's a very freaky looking owl if you google it <laughs> <laughs> um so the curlew for us it's like a it's a death bird so if you hear a curlew call it means somebody you love is going to die right um whereas the ghost bird is like it's it just if a ghost bird's around it's kind of like there's ghosts around which is why we run away from it. <laughs> it's a very strange looking creature. I encourage you to Google it, but please, please do not put it on Twitter or Instagram and tag me in it because I don't want to see that. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had people do that because obviously they don't know. But like, you know, when my publishers were putting together the cover, which I'm completely in love with. They said, oh, you know, is there anything you don't want on there? I'm like, well, I knew they knew better than to do this, but just to confirm, please don't put dot paintings on it because that's not appropriate from where I'm from. 
And please also don't put a 20 frog mouth on the cover because I won't touch it and neither will anyone in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, Lisa, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And uh, I feel that I have a deeper understanding of your novel, which I enjoyed so much on its own terms as a great story. But I feel I've got a better understanding of what underpins it now. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled you enjoyed it. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.